1: It's a dream growing up to get your own baggy green and and wear it in a test match. Yeah, we're really going to celebrate this one. It's fantastic to bring the Ashes
0: home. That was just an incredible experience, to win the Ashes back is awesome. It's a a dream in a test match, but then to also get a hat trick. Put that hat on. I think I'm not overly materialistic, but as a possession, certainly the baggy green is is my absolute favourite. If you're given the opportunity to wear a baggy green, it's
2: a really special occasion.
0: A lot of great memories we'll take from this onwards here for, for the Southern Stars. Hello and welcome to Baggy Green Queens, a series by The Scoop podcast celebrating the stories and people behind some of the most iconic moments in women's Ashes history.
1: This episode is brought to you by ComBank, proud supporters of female game changers. ComBank has partnered with women's cricket for 22 years and is committed to creating more opportunities for girls of all ages to play, compete and learn through cricket.
0: I'm Emily Collin.
1: I'm Laura Jolly.
0: And ahead of the 2022 Women's Ashes series, we're taking a dip into the archives to explore the rich history of the rivalry between Australia and England and revisit some of the most magical moments in the 90-year history of the Women's Ashes.
1: From legends of yesteryear like Betty Wilson and Rayleigh Thompson to trailblazers like Sarah Elliott. Each of our guests is a game changer in their own right and we can't wait to share these stories in more detail.
0: First up, we're going to revisit that story day in 1958 when Betty Wilson staked
1: her claim as one of the finest all-rounders the game has ever seen. Unfortunately, Betty isn't with us anymore, but Mel Jones, who was fortunate enough to know Betty, joined us to chat about her and share some of the stories and experiences that she passed on as one of the pioneers of the women's game. But before we get to Mel,
0: Firstly, let's just run through the Women's Ashes and how this fierce rivalry all came about.
1: The Women's Ashes, a now biannual series between Australia and England, dates all the way back to 1934, when England captain Betty Archdale's women travelled by ship to Australia to play three tests against Margaret Peden's Australian women. It
0: wasn't until 1998, 54 years after the two sides first played in a test series, that the Women's Ashes were officially coined and the trophy was created.
1: It all sounded pretty low key, but there was a ceremony at Lord's to celebrate the new trophy with team captains Belinda Clark and Karen Smithies in attendance. So, what they did, they put the constitution
0: of the Women's Cricket Association, which was the governing body of the time, as well as a couple of mini signed bats into a wok burned it all up and put it into a little wooden cricket ball which we still see at the base of the new and improved Women's Ashes Trophy today.
1: The other major development in the history of the Women's Ashes was the introduction of the multi-format points-based system in 2013.
0: So limited overs cricket, particularly the T20 game, was gaining a lot of traction through the mid-2000s but there was also a desire from the players and administrators to continue women's test cricket and so the multi-format series was devised.
1: From this point on, the women's Ashes would involve three ODIs, a single test match and three T20s. Each limited overs match is worth two points, with four points on offer for a test win.
0: And LJ, which team has had the most success?
1: Most of our listeners will be happily reminded that Australia are the current holders of the women's Ashes and have been since 2015. If you're looking at all 23 series that have been played between Australia and England since the 1930s, Australia have won nine. England have won six, and there have been eight drawn series. So this
0: year's Women's Ashes are kicking off on January 27 with a four-day test match at Manuka Oval in Canberra. That'll be followed by two T20s at North Sydney Oval, a T20 and an ODI at Adelaide Oval, and then the series will conclude with two ODIs at Melbourne's Junction Oval, which is a pretty significant venue in the history of the Women's Ashes.
1: Yep. As we mentioned earlier, it was in 1958 at Junction Oval when proud Victorian Betty Wilson produced one of the most remarkable all-round performances that international cricket has ever seen.
0: It was the second test match of the Ashes series and it had been raining in Melbourne, which is a bit of a classic. Australia had been sent in to bat on a tricky wicket and were all out for just 38 after 43 overs. It was looking like pretty happy days for England at this point.
1: That is, until it was their turn to bat and Betty Wilson was throwing the ball. Betty took an outrageous 7-for-7, seven seven, including a hat-trick, to put England back in their box and bowl them out for 35. Wild.
0: Wild indeed. And it was Australia's turn to bat once again. Things weren't looking great for the Aussies. The top four batters were each dismissed pretty cheaply. But then it was Betty Wilson once again to rescue things for Australia. She dug in for an extraordinary 100 runs off 166 balls in an innings that featured just three fours. So that's that's a lot of running for Betty.
1: It sure is. And Betty, after lifting Australia from 4-30 to 30 to 176, was eventually bowled for 100. And Australia declared shortly after on 9 for 202, a pretty good total considering the position they were in.
0: And although the match finished in a draw, another four wickets for Betty in England's second innings meant she finished with 11 for 16 in the test and she became the first cricketer, male or female, to take 10 wickets and score a century in a test match.
1: Betty's performance at Junction Oval has certainly stood the test of time. We desperately hope we might one day see Betty Wilson immortalised with a statue. But for now, let's listen to what the great Mel Jones has to say about Betty Wilson the cricketer and Betty Wilson the person.
0: We are so pumped to have the great Mel Jones with us on The Scoop today as part of our Baggy Green Queen series Now, to many of our listeners, Mel will need no introduction. Mel represented Australia in 66 matches in a career spanning from 1966 to 2005, including a century on Test Debut, which we'll get to later. But since hanging out the spikes, Mel's forged a career as one of the most respected and most loved broadcasters in world cricket. She's also a director at Cricket Australia in her spare time and is doing an enormous amount of work to make cricket a more accessible game for everyone. Mel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to
2: us you keen to get stuck into some Ashes chat? Um, Most definitely. I just want to get my pension card out, though, because you had me playing for Australia from 1966 (laughs) to 2005. So, look, I'm doing all right if I I debuted in 66. That's all I'm going (laughs) to say. (laughs)
0: Wow, one of the great slip-ups for myself. Great way to start. I do feel like that, Olds, but yeah. We'll rephrase, 1996.
2: I am ready though. Like when you guys reached out, um, it's amazing too because I think for a lot of the female players, because we we all had work and jobs and things like that, to actually remember games, you sort of know what tours you're on and the highs and the lows kind of thing. But you've got to actually sit down and think about things a little bit, whereas the guys, you know, you could say to them, session three of the fourth, Ashes match in the, this tour and, you know, the wind was a northwesterly, and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And there were 74 seagulls on the ground and oh. I'll remember it to a ball kind of thing. So
1: it'd be nice to go down memory lane. Absolutely. So firstly, what do you love about Test Cricket and what do the women's Ashes mean to you?
2: Oh, so I'm going to about Test Cricket because I think that the first thing is just the ability to be like the word says you just get tested in so many different ways and you really get tested in in uh in white ball cricket i love the fact that our fast bowlers can bowl fast and bounce people and our spinners can you know have the ability to just get up there and not have to bowl tightly can really set players up over you know whether it's an over or 10 overs for that matter i love the just the complexity of there's so many different ways in which you can go about playing the game and the tactics involved in it all and that it's just this sort of beautiful it's either a slow rolling roller coaster or it's really up and down all the way through i love the fact that you finish a day's play um, and you're absolutely exhausted um and you just can't wait for the next day's play to start and so all the conversations post that in between games as well um and you just you love seeing your teammates find ways and, and i know that can happen in white ball cricket but in red ball cricket and because we never really like two day cricket was the most that we all sort of Mm -hmm. played and then you get extended over four days you love seeing and helping your teammates and yourself get through periods that you've never really experienced before. Um, yeah, and I could go on and on and on for that, but <laughs> well, my, I love test match cricket. Um, but it's what, it's what I grew up with as well, you know, watching, watching it on TV, um, and the ability to, to pull on a baggy green and the vest is, yeah, is something very, very special.
0: Nice. So we'll go back to the start of your own test career Mel. You started with
2: the... A- yep. <laughs> Black and white TV.
0: Yeah. Lots. Yes. So Mel, you started with the, the biggest of bangs in 1998. <laughs> Take us back to that time. How was a young
2: Mel Jones feeling ahead of her first Ashes tour? Do you remember getting your own baggy green? Um, well, I, I do, it was, but it wasn't. It didn't have the sort of um, mm. presentation that it does these days. And I'm, I've been blessed to have seen and been involved in baggy green um, presentations now, and it's it's such a wonderful part of of playing Test match cricket. So we didn't really get that. It was just sort of handed over. <laughs> you know, in your kit of clothing kind of thing. And that was it. You went out and you played kind of thing. Um, So that was different. And The Ashes for us was part of a. it was almost the early doors multi-format because we had a, a white ball series attached to it too. And I can remember, what I do remember was we were on the plane going over and nearly every single player had this book called Mad Dogs and English Women, which was written about England's 1997 World Cup campaign. Um, and so- wow. This guy, um, Pete Davies, I think his name was, who wrote the book, um, wrote about our game against England uh, in Nagpur and where we, we beat England. And all these comments were coming about, out about Catherine Fitzpatrick isn't that fast and the Aussies aren't that good and all this sort of stuff. So we're reading this book because the World Cup had only been six months previous in India. So we're reading all these things going, right, that's it. And it just fired us up. So we landed in England and we didn't need any motivation <laughs> other than just walking. We were like, that's it, we're, we're getting into them. <laughs> so I can remember the fact that we'd won the one-day series at Lord's 5-zip and that was just off the back of getting getting for and Kytas getting 100, the first two women to do so at Lord's, and then the Test Match series about around it all. So it was just, yeah, that was sort of the memories leading into the, into the series.
1: Amazing. And looking at that debut test, you were – batting at number five and you spent all that time out in the middle with Joanne Broadbent, who went on to make a double ton. What were your emotions during that innings and what are your memories at that time? Um, well, my memories
2: probably of my innings just is Julia Price going, oh, my God, would she just get there? Because you remember back in, <laughs> back in the days, I'm not going back to 1966, but it was 1998. <laughs> I'm never leaving this down. <laughs> you're not going to live it down, no. though. The cameras were... Like Kodak cameras, where you had to wind on the film, so she went through a whole roll of film trying to get that moment of when I got the hundred. So she was just annoyed that she'd gone through a whole roll and had to buy another roll of film. And you know, if only we had digital cameras, it would have been so much, so much easier. It. Um, look, it was a Guilford, and I've got to preface this with: it was a road. Like the only thing I can think of this pitch was the white lines down the middle of it. It was runs galore. You got to remember, so. England batted first. And I've got to remember these things. I had to go to the scorecard to remember it all too. (laughs) So we didn't get our first wicket um, until we got Lottie out. and So the score was on 94. And Jan Britton, gee, she owned that series with the bat. She was just just one of the all-time greats to watch. But, you know, so they piled on a truckload of runs. Um, We we didn't start that well, like, from, from memory. And then Brogs and I put on the partnership. Brogs got the double hundred. Um, and then we had um, the other the other piece of the puzzle for the Guilford test was that I think Pricey was on 30 not out overnight um, and she made a bet with Lisa Ross, who was our physio um that if she got to, um, she got a 50 she'd get um 50 quid and then it was a pound for every run after that but she was celebrating <laughs> more once she got past 50, 50 itself so she got run she got 80 80 not out um she got runs off nice. of um, nice. money off Lisa Ross and the other one that springs my see I'm not even talking about the cricket sorry about this guys was no we <laughs> Lin, love it Lynn Larson it. was our manager um and she was brilliant and it was fantastic having her on tour but we took Mickey out of her a bit because we'd, we'd <laughs> We were allowed to get tickets for people to come along and watch, which we thought the irony of that because it was free to get in, anyways. But so we'd be putting these um, tickets on the gate and say to Lynn, "Oh yeah, um, we've got the boils coming, um, Lance Boyle, and you know, and the Downs are coming, and you know, we'd put all these stupid names on tickets, and no one's rocking up." But Lynn thought, "Okay, isn't this wonderful? All the girls have got all this support." So yeah, we took Mickey out of yeah, um, we took the Mickey out of our physio because she lost all this money on pricey. Um, and somehow I managed randomly. I didn't realise this. It was my first ever 100. I hadn't got 100 at club or state. So my first ever 100 was. How good. Yeah.
0: What a way to start. And yeah, we love hearing those sort of stories. Like we love hearing the, the behind the scenes on tour stories. From a player's point of view, from your point of view, how cool was it to be involved in those overseas tours back in those days and especially when you're surrounded by the likes of you know Belinda Clark, Lisa Kiley and your good mate like Julia Price all those all those characters that we still
2: see in the game today. Yeah it was um you know I speak to and you know I'm good mates with Molly Strano and she would have given anything to have played back in that day because it was real (laughs) it was real tour life like and without the you know teams these days you're in your own room so you you know, and you've got security fins lots of stuff, whereas, you know, for us, it was, it was seriously trains, planes and automobiles. So the stories, most of our stories we remember are from the touring part of it, not from the actual game part of it. Um, and it was, you know, the Ashes tour to England was, it was a long, you know, that's, we're talking five weeks or six weeks, I think it was. So one, you had to try and get, time off work and hope that you weren't sacked while you're (laughs) you're on on tour um but you had the chance to really work into a tour um yeah you had geez you had you know you had your blow-ups with teammates at times and all that sort of thing but it was just they were the they were the tours where you look back and just go it was just so much fun and that's the way it should be. You should be, you know, finishing tours and having memories of playing for your country with, yeah, the huge smile on your face. And that's what we we certainly did back then.
1: Amazing. And I know you mentioned you guys were pretty fired up after reading that book. What was the rivalry like with England back then?
2: Yeah, look, our biggest rival, Well, there were two of the biggest rivalries. So us in New Zealand with Rose Bowls because that's who we played. We only really played these two teams. It wasn't <laughs> like it is these days. Um, so, and it was, you know, we took a lot of the rivalry off won the history of our own game, which we've got, you know, all the way back to 1934, 35, and you go through to Betty Wilson and in the 50s and all those sorts of things. And and Rayleigh, as you mentioned, on tour as well. So but we didn't we didn't see or hear about that rivalry because women's cricket wasn't covered. So we sort of fed off the men's ashes rivalry a little bit as well. And because it was the two Ashes, and that's when the Ashes trophy was was made, was that tour in 1998 where we signed the little mini bat um, at the nursery ground and, and burnt it and put the Ashes into the ball, which is part of the actual Ashes trophy now mm-hmm. in and around encased that it looks a little bit more grander than our little ball sitting on a, <laughs> on a piece of wood, so they've, they've, they've upscaled a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so you, you take your part of that rivalry was built off the history of the game and then part of the rivalry was off that we just didn't like them. No, it like, No, there no, was this. Yeah, you know, we didn't. We didn't speak to each other. You know, there until the end yeah. of the tour. Then we got on. We all went out in night, nightclub night club in wherever we were at last like, Um, But it, it was. It was tough. It was hard. It was. No. It was. You know, it was fierce kind of competition day in. As day it, out, it Which is exactly the way you want it to be. How good.
0: And Mel, as you know, we're here as part of our Baggy Green Queens series. We've been speaking to some absolute legends of the women's game who have been involved in some of the great moments of the, of the Ashes. There's one figure in particular who is unfortunately not with us anymore, but is just one of the absolute greats of the women's game. We're, of course, talking about Betty Wilson, who you were lucky enough to know pretty well. Are you able to just give us a little bit of a snapshot of Betty, what she was like and, and how you came
2: across Betty? Brutally honest. Probably <laughs> Blunt, I'm not too sure how you (laughs) Mm want And you know, this is, I mean, it's one of the the great stories, but the sad stories too, because we just didn't really know. I was was so pleased Mm -hmm. that she was still around enough for us to actually get to know her and hear some stories of the past. So she passed away in, was it 2010 at 88, she had a ripping life in a lot of ways. Um, But it was just a a shame that we don't get to see as much footy game. And it's it's just a beautiful little story, isn't it? You know, she wanders past a game with her dad once and throws the ball back and she starts playing at 10. She plays state at 16. And then World War II gets in the way, so she doesn't actually debut for another 10 years and then she gets into the team and she, she just absolutely dominates, which is why she could abuse us with our poor footwork and everything, because you couldn't really say, well, you didn't do it, because she did. <laughs> you know? And she was, yeah, she was just, I mean, that, that test in Melbourne is um, is one of those ones, I reckon, if, if I look back on a game that I would have liked to have the ability to go back in time and record and mm-hmm. commentate over, and because and, that, that's, you know, it's they're playing at the Junction Oval. Can I go into this? Are we, or am I waffling too much here? Nah, no. Okay. So hey. for, for those that don't know, they go, <laughs> they go into this test match. Um, so England comes over and I'm on the boat, you know, all these sorts of things. And it's it's a wet, surprisingly, it's a wet Melbourne. And so the first day is washed out. It's uncovered pitches. So that, that Australia loses a toss, gets sent in. Get rolled, like 30, 38, I think it was. Um yeah, it was. And, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be, you know, pretty awful, awful kind of test. Um, Betty tops scores, as she does, even though they're all out for 38. That's so nothing magnificent. Um, they then come back in and then roll England for the list, 35. Betty gets a hat trick, and you're like, oh my god, you know, game on <laughs> kind of thing. So um and you're just like that is just amazing in the conditions, uncovered pitches, all these sorts of things. You'd just love to see that skill set and control and temperament. Um, And that's why I'd love to go back to that game, but sadly we can't. But she was, she'd come down to our state games and wear this um, Western Australian sort of, I think it was a, swan beer cap so it had it'd be very western Australian we'd be like Betty what are you wearing that for interesting she loved the visor Victoria I know right I know um and she just she just she loved life she loved I think I mentioned it in the um the uh speech that I did for her when she was inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame you know she she loved her bowls she loved betting. A little flutter, flutter, and you loved <laughs> a shardy, and it probably weren't well, not in that order. I would, I would tipping, <laughs> and she loved a cricket, of course, as well. But just one of those absolute characters of the game who you know put a lot of people offside at the same point in time. Um, mm-hmm. which which makes it even funner having a chat about it as well, you know, because that's what I suppose characters do, don't they? Some like it and some don't.
1: Absolutely. And it just sounds like she was such a natural talent, but also an incredibly hard worker. I think there's some stories that have gone around about her putting a cricket ball in a stocking and hanging it off the washing line. Yeah. Did she give you any insights into how she was so good? Um, not really. No, but I think what, what it was, I think her dad
2: played a pretty pivotal role. So he was a bootmaker. So he fashioned her, her spikes kind of thing. So I think when you have someone who's really supportive back back in those days too, because you could remember the the state of play back then yeah. you know it was it was yeah. it was bloody tough um, mm-hmm. so to have that kind of family support for someone getting into one just sport in general but two a sport that wasn't you know known for for women playing so if she got into tennis or something or athletics it might have been sort of seen as oh yeah that's you know that's fair mm-hmm. enough but to get into involved in cricket um, so that's I think that would have been and so for then dad and mum to be able to then fashion the backyard into assisting her to play um I think that's a that's a massive game changer whereas you know you take that element out of it um and you just don't know where she would have been but she still probably would have found her way in some way or <laughs> yeah. form, knowing Betty very strong yeah. strong willed um but I think I think that's a, a pivotal piece to it and I think you speak to any any like Australian player these days um and most of them would say that you know a lot of it is because of family support.
0: Yeah, 100%. And the Second World War, Mel, meant Benny, Betty didn't get the opportunity to represent her country until she was 26. Thankfully, I think she worked as an office assistant. Thankfully, they let her take some leave to represent her country playing cricket. Did you get much insight from Betty around the sacrifices that she made and her teammates made to represent Australia
2: and the conditions for a female cricketer at that time? Yeah, look, I, I'm tipping the, the boss of the office probably went, go, bet, off you go. <laughs> Imagine her in, in an office, she'd be telling everyone where to go. I what to do <laughs> you like no, I can do this. um oh look yeah amazingly so because i, I think too is that you really put your life on hold don't you matt she was mm. engaged twice never ended up marrying um she i think she had a, she had a bigger name she often mentioned this over in england than what she did here in australia because of the state of play of of things over there um, is that just because there was more publicity around it yeah the game over there and you yeah, sort of okay. look back on on Articles of when the Australian women's team toured, and they'd be playing a warm-up game in Kent against the Kent mm. side, and there'd be you know thousands there. They yeah, Just had incredible. the, the yeah. numbers for the hundred, and it was saying oh the most amount of um, biggest crowd for domestic women's cricket ever, blah blah blah. And you know you've got your stalwarts of women's cricket like ref coming out going oh actually no because we had twenty four thousand <laughs> <laughs> way back in the day, and there was and I think you, if you sort of watch the way women's sport went around the war in all, a lot of different sports, I think if you watch um, one of my favourite movies, um, League of Their Own, is that when the guys went off to war, that the women sort of kept that piece going. And so there was, you know, crowds there because people needed a, a release and a, a chance just to relax and enjoy enjoy sports. So that's, I think that's what happened in England as well. Um, that's just my thought. I've done no research on that as well. So <laughs> we have all these people ringing up going, what's she on about? No, it was because of this. No, exactly. <laughs> But, um, yeah, yeah, she put a lot on the line because she she loved the sport so much.
1: And we, um, when researching this, we're looking back through that awesome Bradman Museum book that came out last year, Clearing the Boundaries, and looking at the photos in that of the, the team on a boat sailing to England. It's just incredible to think that that's what it took in those days. Oh, my God. If our 1998 team was on a boat to
2: England, there would have been about three <laughs> people walking off the boat. We would have killed each other by the time we got there. <laughs> So, you know if you if you get over there and you get your whole team um and you haven't killed each other I think that's a good team
1: And you've got to pack up your life for six months to go and play a tour it's just yeah remarkable to think what they did to be able to play back then
2: and the money to do it like they I mean we I played in a purely amateur um time but at least you know at least your blazer was covered but you know you look back then and it wasn't you know bet didn't get her actual baggy green till Mm. 2005.
0: So after the 1951 Ashes Tour where Australia jumped on a ship it would be seven years before England were able to return the favour for the 1958 Ashes Tour and it was the second test Mel that you were speaking about earlier when Betty cemented herself as one of the game's greatest all-rounders with a century and 10 wickets in the same test. Did you ever hear of any recollections from from that
2: day at Junction Oval Mel? Yeah well I'm glad you asked that because there's I mean, Una Paisley played in this match as well, who's just a legend of the game. Um, but one name that certainly stands out for me, and it stood out for a gentleman in the crowd as well, because when Australia was batting in that first innings, um, and they were in all sorts, so they lost five wickets and they had 24 on the board, out walks Australian player Joyce Christ. Now, on the scoreboard, it was just Jay Christ. So someone from the crowd, <laughs> so rumor goes, says, Don't worry. Jesus will save us, you know, because they're looking up saying it's J Christ on the board. And, of course, that then sort of over the years comes back to Julia Price and I when um, we hear about Joyce Christ through Tassie cricket days. And so from then on, Joyce Christ lives with us every day because rather than when when something hasn't gone quite right, we love love to bring in the history of the game. We'll be like, ah, Joyce Christ. And so Joyce has been with us for, for many years since then. So she she didn't hit too many runs in that first inning. She didn't quite save the innings. It certainly was down to, to Betty with the with the bat and the ball in the next couple of innings. But um, you know, they're the stories. Like I said, I'd love to go back to that time um and relive it and have a chat to those players. But uh nice to know that uh, a player back in the in the 50s is still hanging around Australian women's cricket, uh, probably daily these days. Would Joyce Christ be aware of that? No, I don't think she would be she probably, I don't even know if she'd probably like it. Actually, <laughs> I hope she does. It's said it's in, a, you know, the, the nicest possible way.
1: And so Betty was 37 when she achieved that um, historic double and then announced her retirement at the end of that Ashes series. Uh, she didn't disappear from the game, as you mentioned. Um, so she was an ongoing presence around Victorian and Australian cricket um, during your time uh, in the team, too.
2: Yeah, she was, and she stood out like a beacon, too. It was almost like I'm mentioning all these baseball movies in a, in a cricket podcast, but there was a, a movie Robert Redford was in called um, The Natural. And there was this scene where Glenn Close is sitting in a stand, and the sun sort of comes through the back of the stadium and, and hits hits her head and creates this, like, halo. That was like Betty sitting in the stands wherever we were playing state cricket. She'd come along, she'd have the the perfect permed, you know, bouffant and a little visor, her Perth WA visor, and she just stood out. And I think she stood out, one, because she was Betty Wilson, but two, people would just gravitate to her. She'd just hold court uh, for for most of the day. But she loved coming down, um, sitting and watching and often yelling out and then telling us what we did wrong and then, you know. (laughs) and repeat kind of thing. But it was, um, it was, it was just the, the nice way in which we could connect with the past. And that was our only chance to connect with the past in a lot of the ways. So it was, it was our connection to the past and her connection to the future. And it was, yeah, it was good times.
0: So as you mentioned, Mel, in your um, your lovely speech at Betty's induction into the Australian cricket hall of fame, you said that she was, if she was Bradman off the field, on the field, she was Keith Miller off the field. <laughs> Is this a reflection of her um, affection for a, Bit of a punt or a lawn bowl or a bit of a Chardonnay.
2: All of the above. Yep, most definitely. <laughs> um, and you know, you, you speak to, I think she had chats with Alex Bedser and the, and you know, a lot of the English male cricketers on her tours as well. So when you've got the male cricketers talking about women's cricketers back in the day, you think, hmm, yeah, she's made an impact and that's all I'm going to say on that. I won't judge at all. Actually, I'd praise, but you know, <laughs> and I think you know, you, you chat to her family too, um, and they're just super proud as they should be of, you know, her achievements. But I think just the way in which she, she lived her life as well. And she was, you know, she was no shrinking violet. That's for sure. Is that the same shrinking violet? Yeah. 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 Um, I often make things up. I didn't know if that was another one. Um, and yeah, she lived life to the fullest, which is, which is what I love about her.
1: How important is it to have that connection to the past and to recognize these trailblazers? Cause I know compared to the men's game where there's vision and photos and books that have been written about all these things, it's so much harder to find information about people like Betty and many players we've never heard of from those previous generations.
2: Yeah, it's it's huge. You know, we, we had that magnificent event um, up in Brisbane just before the Australian women's team went off to the 2017 World Cup and it was an acknowledgement of all the Australian teams that had won World Cups where the ICC actually produced medals for them. And I was exceptionally fortunate enough to to MC that event so you know lots of conversations with a lot of the players um coming into it and you know that they, they were just over the moon you know a lot of the comments were like oh my god they sent a car for us to pick us up from home and from the airport you know these are women that never <laughs> never got anything so the little things like that to make such an impact and you know they're the reason I have no doubt about why we're where we're at at the moment with women's cricket because and it was the comment I made on the night was that it's that phrase of you know on the shoulders of giants we stand and they were giants of the game because they did all the grunt work and the hard work and still loved the game and played it in such a beautiful way um so we we need to know these women so that we can keep passing that on because that's one of the beautiful things about you know the current Australian women's cricket team is that there is that connection. You know, you talk to a Rachel Haynes and she gets it and she speaks to these. And Beth Mooney, we had breakfast with some of the oldies from EMP who played um, Australian cricket uh, during the T20 World Cup. She came out to breakfast. And, you know, for her to sit there and to hear all these stories is so, so important. And I don't know who enjoyed it more, the oldies or Beth, you know. <laughs> and for one, you know, we've heard all these stories before, so it was great for someone else just to go, you go and talk to them, Beth. And you know, and off they go again, uh, a little bit of mayo as the years go on, every time they tell the story. But um, the crux of the story is still there, and I think that's that's wonderful to see.
0: Yeah, I think that it definitely seems like that's part of the reason why the culture of that current Australian team is so strong because they do they do appreciate
2: the players that have gone before them. Yeah, 100%. And you know, that's you know, as time goes on, it, that that'll probably shift a little bit because, you know, young girls these days are seeing the players on TV and understanding the history without having seen them as much but um, there are always those untold stories that you you love to undig. And
0: Mel there's been some pretty big steps recently um, towards formalizing you know the long-standing contribution of players like Betty to the game so as you mentioned earlier Betty was um, presented with Baggy Green number 25 in 2005 so after her career had finished up and you were a big part of her induction into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. And, of course, this year we've seen a commitment from the SCG to house the first statue of a female cricketer. Is Would you be keen to see Betty in bronze or is there someone else that you'd like to see immortalised at the SCG?
2: Joyce Christ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hashtag Betty in bronze. It's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, I just like the hashtag as well. Um, I, and undoubtedly, you know, as we know, just because of the feats, that legend of the game. Um, I, I look at impact overall though. And, you know, to me, no one holds anything on what Belinda Clark has done both on and off the field. When you look at her track record on the field, um, you know, opening up the batting a captaincy record. And then you go back to us winning that 97 World Cup in India. And she was she was CEO of Women's Cricket Australia when they'll go through the amalgamation with the Australian Cricket Board. So that's a full-time job. That's 24-7. And then she's still captaining us rabble and you know, getting us, you know, getting us in order and, and doing all that sort of stuff. And she just didn't drop the ball. And then she goes into cricket Australia and, and what she did for both the men's and the women's game and junior cricket and all those sorts. I could go on and on and on, on. I don't want to give her a big head though so (laughs) i would say that you know impact wise to australian cricket um yeah clarky is is certainly certainly up there but so i just say well let's have both of them like why why are we stopping at one (laughs) exactly (laughs) uh, yeah we can do one two three let's just yeah keep on going
1: one at every cricket ground why not (laughs) Amazing. And so we've got a huge Ashes series coming up this summer. What are your predictions for that series? And can England curtail this Australian dominance we've seen over the last few series?
2: Yeah, I think this is, and I'm not just saying this to get everyone along to watch and tune in, but I look, I saw England playing against India this year. Um, just recently in the multi-format series, so great to see India getting involved, and we'll have India coming out this summer as well. Um, there's uh, there's a few players within the England setup that England needed to sort of fill positions and really own a lot more, um, and they're, they're certainly so Nat Siver at the moment is in some of the best form I've seen, seen a player in with with bat and ball. Um, Sophia Dunkley in the middle middle order for. For England just looks at home in cricket and she's come off a wonderful hundred as well. So she's sort of showing that she can expand a game um, across all three formats. Now we're really sort of in in need of someone in that middle order to be able to control things in there. Um, and they've got some some bowlers coming through now so where they're not just relying on Catherine Brunton and your shrub soul as well. So um, we, we know of Eccleston, um, but you know, Glenn with the ball and all these sorts of things. And there's a couple of young quicks as well. You know, we talk about our uh, Vilemic and Browns. Well, they've got a few coming through as as well. So I think there's, yeah, there's just, there's an excitement around England cricket and we're going to claim it that it's because they've got an Aussie coach. So happy 50th birthday for yesterday, Carters. And <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get a, a late birthday present in terms of the Ashes, but, you know. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's, and, you know, there's a World Cup around the corner too. So there's, I mean, Jan, Feb, March, April is just huge um, for women's cricket. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be a magnificent series. We will win. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but um, it won't be as as comfortable as the last series over in England,
0: that's for sure. Nice one. Solid predictions, Mel. Yeah, all the ingredients <laughs> there for, a, for an absolutely epic Women's Ashes series, and we cannot wait. Mel Jones, thank you so much for joining us today to take a trip down memory lane and get to help us get to know the brilliance of the great Betty Wilson. And yeah, just we love learning about the history of the women's ashes. And we cannot wait to get stuck in this summer. So thank
2: you for joining us on The Scoop. Thanks for getting me out of my wheelchair, because I'm getting on now. I'm never gonna let you do that down. Day never. Nine, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Mel.
1: It's a dream growing up to get your own baggy green and and wear it in a test match. Yeah, we're really going to celebrate
2: this one. It's fantastic to bring the Ashes home. That was just an incredible experience, to win the Ashes back is
0: awesome. It's a a dream in a test match, but then to also get a hat trick. Put that hat on. I think I'm
2: not overly materialistic, but as a possession, certainly the baggy green is my absolute favourite. If you're given the opportunity to wear a baggy green, it's a really special occasion.
0: A lot of great memories we'll take from this.